Hello, and welcome to another episode of Walkins Welcome. I'm Michael Russell, and sitting with me is Gary the Foodie Okazaki. <laughs> That's actually his full um, birth name. Now, a lot of people don't know that. People think the foodie is Gary's nickname, but if you look at his birth certificate, it's actually Gary the foodie, one word, Okazaki. How did you know that? That is exactly <laughs> true. It's, it's my legal name. Well, we're always at Providence Hospital, so I just looked up your birth record. I, I, where were you born, actually? I know you were born in Portland, but uh, was it at Providence Hospital, or actually, was that even around there? I don't know. It was around here somewhere. You don't know where you were born? No. Do you, know, do you know? Do you know where you were born? Yeah, of course, uh, you know Alta exactly. Bates Hospital, oh, you know uh, Berkeley, hospital? California. Yeah. Okay. Your parents didn't talk to you. Your your whole memory is like a haze. I think your oh, your childhood. Oh, I was a adopted, haze. so it's a little bit. Oh, different. I, I was see. adopted very young. Oh, okay, well, of course. You didn't that, know that, that did you? I didn't know that. I'm learning this on air. <laughs> That's why people should listen. You learn things about people that you wouldn't otherwise know. Were you adopted from an agency, or were you that? I don't. No. Was I, it friends of your parents? I, I, I don't know. I, it was, it's, I was told at an early age, but I, it's not something... <laughs> Are you sure we, they were telling the truth? Yeah, <laughs> no, they were. Because I actually I found like there's adoption. Like because then they would have the parents on it, the real parents. It's, it's all kind of hazy regarding that. And I yeah. never really... I was told probably when I was like eight or nine, and didn't, I, I really didn't care. It is, and I had no desire to like search out for my birth parents. That explains why your cousins are so tall. Because <laughs> I've met not, your cousins; they are the, very no, tall. That's not the reason. The, uh, uh, my cousin married a very tall Caucasian man. Ah, uh, okay, all right. That's taller sense. than both of my twins. Both of my cousins who are twins. So it's my not father. like you're at you were at family reunions and no. everyone's seven foot two, and you're like, no, I'm you the know, shortest Gary, one there. No, I'm about <laughs> average for the family. Um, okay, well, that was a really interesting thing I learned about you, Gary. So today we want to discuss a few things. Um, there was sort of a major breakup of a power powerhouse New York restaurant group. Uh, we're going to talk briefly about that and, and whether it even really has a major impact on, you know, American food, how much it really does. Um, we're going to talk a bit about the hazards of communal dining and then we're going to finish it off uh, talking about my restaurant guide to Portland restaurants, which came out um, just uh, in the week previous to when you're listening to this. So that that should be fun. Um, so let's start off talking about 11 Madison Park. So this is um, one of the most famous fine dining restaurants in New York City, especially of the past 10 years. Um, it hasn't been around forever. And... Actually, it has. How long do you think it's... If you were, I, I, I have an idea of how long it's been around. How long do you think it's been around? I would guess 20 years. That's about right. It started out... Uh, Danny Meyer owned it. Yes. And the first chef was... Or one of the first chefs... It might have been the first chef uh, before Daniel Hume, who made it famous, was Kerry Heffernan. Mm-hmm. So even though it's been around that long, it sort of took off like into the stratosphere after, as you put it, Daniel Hume took over as chef and his partner, Will Gadara, is that how you pronounce his I last name? I think so, yes. Uh, when those two started sort of evolving the restaurant in ways that it hadn't, you know, uh, pushing it into the future, turning it into more of a progressive restaurant, Danny Meyer eventually left the partnership, no, sold, was, it to sold it to them, was no longer involved, uh, and went on to open an empire of Shake Shack restaurants and many, many other New York restaurants. And um, they took that restaurant all the way to number one on the world's 50 best rankings, which, you know, take that with a grain of salt, what that means to you. It also received four stars in the New York Times under Frank Bruni. Um, did 
Pete Wells drop it down? No, it's never been dropped. It's never been dropped, but he wrote something that was like a Close shot to, across the uh, bow. Yeah, kind of thing. like, watch out, because you, if you keep on going where you're going, I'm going to drop you. Was it an unstarred review, or what? I, I thought it was his his, his reiteration Sorry, of four stars. I thought it was his reiteration of four stars, but it wasn't. If I remember correctly, it's a few years ago. It wasn't totally glowing. All right. And they did get the third Michelin stars. It's when it was weird. They had one Michelin star. They lost it. Then they got that one Michelin star back <laughs> like a year or two later. Then they went from one to three Michelin stars, which is highly unusual. That's in one like, year, in, in one year, they were one Michelin star. Then the next year, they went from one to three, which is, you know, a great accomplishment by Chef Hum. So, okay. I probably should have gone back and read Wells' story before this, but if I remember, did he send? Did he sort of discuss the experience of another diner who was at the restaurant, or was that another restaurant? I, I, I you tell uh, how much we, how much work we do. Yeah, a lot of prep here. For, for, for these podcasts. Well, I know Pete's a pretty close listener to the Walkins Welcome Pod, so I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> but uh, we'll we'll uh, uh, you know we'll make it better next time. But okay, so they shook up the menu even after being named the best restaurant in the world. And, you know, you've been to EMP of late. And if I remember correctly, you weren't like totally enamored of it. Is that true? It was my most disappointing meal of that year. Wow. Just based on expectation. Now, did you go after they sort of reinvented it into this like New York storytelling kind of thing? And it it just, you know, it just... It didn't resonate with me. The uh. execution was incredibly high, but the food itself was just didn't feel creative or exciting. Mm. And that's why when this breakup occurred, you have we. I don't think we've even explained to readers, but after an eight-year partnership, the duo who took this restaurant from you know sort of an elite level New York restaurant to into the stratosphere of international restaurants that people travel across the globe to eat at. They are breaking up their partnership, which also includes not just EMP, but also these nomad restaurants and cocktail bars, which are not only in New York, but also Los Angeles and Las Vegas. There are multiple other restaurants in their group, which I don't know anything about, but um, you know, those are kind of the big ones, I guess. Right. Yeah. And I think, more important to, than EMP because it really is just a New York restaurant. Is are all the nomads? Yeah, they're, they're opening up a restaurant in London at the right. Claridge. At the Claridge, because I've I've eaten at Fair at the Claridge's last year, and that's they closed that down, and and Daniel and Will were supposed to um, open a restaurant in that space, and Daniel is still Chef Daniel is still going to open a restaurant in that space. And what happened was uh, Daniel got an investor. To buy out Will's part of their partnership, if I remember correctly. So Will's going to open up his own restaurant group. And Mm -hmm. that's going to be the most interesting aspect of this. Why? Because I don't know. Because he's not a chef. He's married to a chef. One of the most famous pastry chefs in the world. Christina Tosi of the Momopoku Milk Bar um, Empire. Uh, So I don't know if she's going to, or if she even if she wanted to, I don't know if she can help him with that part of the sweet portion portion of what's going to happen with his wheels restaurants in the future. And what, since he's not a chef. I think Tosi's pretty, pretty set, right? (laughs) I know. Right. Um, uh, So I don't know who he's going to hire to, to um, run and open the, the future, his future restaurants. Like what chef will he pick out and, 
what will those restaurants be like? Because Will is his his customer service, which he learned from Danny Meyer, is on another level. The the Danny Meyer is the king of customer service. Like I've been to many of his restaurants in New York City, and I'm always blown away by the service I get at those restaurants. And the service at EMP was fantastic too. It outshined the food part of it. So. I mean, we'll see what happens with Will, the the Will's restaurant group, the 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 Nomad EMP part of it. It's like, will anything really change? I I don't think so. Everything is kind of being ingrained in that EMP culture, and I don't think it changes now that Will's gone. It seems like their his approach to sort of creating a vibe and an experience at EMP. It it almost reminds me of the way the Spanish restaurants operate, where the experience is as conceptual as it is about the food. Would you agree with that? Is there a little bit of that Spanish flair to him, or am I? Well, or is that, that Daniel's part of it? Because Good that's question. not that's actually part of what card tricks. There's a course where they did card tricks, the tomato, the, the uh, carrot course which is table-side service, and again, that's Daniel's part of it. It's mm. just that the service is really just, I think they Google, like, if you, like a lot of restaurants, like, Google you if, <laughs> when, before you come in, so they, like, say, they'll know where you've been, maybe that even that day. I mean, at Per Se this year, uh, the captain said to me, Oh, how did you enjoy your meal at La Bernardin yesterday, Gary? <laughs> I said, oh, it was great. Um, I mean, I love Thomas's dessert. So we <laughs> talked about that. So, I mean. He must listen to our pod, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I don't know. Hi, Captain. I'm somewhat nonplussed by it all. I'm yeah. curious, but. I don't know how big of an imp- I mean, obviously, it's impressive that they opened Nomads in other cities. But I don't hear people talking about Nomad L.A., the way they talk about Nightshade or a half dozen other right. restaurants. I think it opened because the and food it was is very- expensive, but do people, I mean, and I'm sure people go, but is it really like a the, part of the discourse right now? The, I don't know. The food isn't the most exciting food in the world. And I think, you know, I'm actually more intrigued by Nomad, the Nomad bar. Leo Robichek is overseas the bar program and his bars are fantastic. I just, I try to go there. I tr- I, I've been to both the Nomad uh, in Las Vegas and the one in Los Angeles and both been the cocktail part of it and the restaurant part of it. And they're fine. And the one in New York with the wooden elephant statues is pretty awesome. October. Are they on the top 50? Yeah, Nomad bars? Bar is top 10. Okay, so like yeah, that makes top, sense. Maybe in the top five. Well, let's talk a lot, a little bit about communal dining. Um, you know, you and I, you more than me, but both of us probably eat out solo more than your average person, um, your average diner. I mean, people go out to eat to celebrate, to have fun. You and I often go out to eat out of curiosity or to, you know, check something off a list or for me for professional reasons. And sometimes that means, you know, you don't have someone to go with you or it's a tasting menu where it doesn't really make sense to bring someone along for, you know, another $250 or 700 or $800, whatever. <laughs> um, you know, have you, have you ever, I feel like right before we met, I, I, I think you said you saw me walking by in the street and you're at a communal dinner and you walked out of the dinner. Um, 
What's it like for you when you have to sit next to someone you don't like? I've walked out a, a few times of restaurants where it's it's always communal. I yeah, I've uh, probably five to ten times I've just walked out. I said, "Excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm just not feeling comfortable right now. I've got to go." Yeah, and part of it is, I mean, I I eat out. Um, when I travel, I eat out alone all the time because I travel alone. And it can be somewhat difficult when you're sitting at, um, you know, a communal, or, or it could be communal dining or, or, or what you're talking about is like a, like a counter seating, which mm-hmm. a lot of restaurants, especially high-end restaurants, are doing now. And if they squeeze you close together, you really know the people to the left and to the right of you. Mm-hmm. And I'm really, I tend to be really quiet. I don't talk hmm. a lot unless they talk to me. They, as in the diners next, right to the left, to the right and left of me. I think it's part of my personality. I, I tend to be rather shy. So I think if you're really outgoing, you can really, you can really um, be condu- a condu- like a, a really conducive dining experience. Whereas for me, when I'm sitting next to that person who's really outgoing, it makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. For that's really interesting. For me, it used to happen a lot more when I was trying to practice anonymity, which I did for the first five years as restaurant critic for the Oregonian. And I was pretty successful at it, especially the first three or four years. But around like year four, I went to a Japanese pop-up that was getting started in Portland. I think you were there actually. I was. And they sat me next to a restaurant owner who like (laughs) totally knew who I was. And I kind of spent the whole night pretending that I was just a regular Joe there for the meal. And like, they kept probing me with like questions to try to get me to reveal who I was. And I, I didn't want to play the game and I didn't really want to talk to them about their restaurants very much. So that was super uncomfortable for me. Um, let's see. I, I was once sat at another, I don't go to a lot of, I'm lucky enough not to have to go to a lot of like the opening media events, the cattle calls, but I was, I did go to one that was, I was curious about the, what the chef was doing. Um, it was an established chef doing a special menu and they sat me next to another food writer in town and they just wanted to gossip about um, like the Portland restaurant scene. And for me, like, I think this was right after I had my first kid and I, I hadn't been out to eat in a few months. And I was like, the last thing I want to do is just spend four. It was a very long meal too. It was like four and a half hours. I, the last thing I want to do is just gossip about the uh, Portland restaurant scene the entire time. Like, can't we talk about, I don't know, peak TV or <laughs> literally know, anything else. Your your personality is much more open, seemingly, like, just because I know you. Uh, am I wrong in that, in the sense that you, you will talk? You're very genial, a, a genial person. You... I try to read the room. I mean, I was at um, Farm Spirit recently, and there was a young woman alone sitting next to me, and I was like, well, I don't know. I'm not going to talk to this person who's a total stranger to me unless they talk to me basically, which I think is your sort of what you do. And then I think she kind of caught wind that I was taking notes and taking pictures and stuff. So she started asking me questions and then we chatted the whole night. It was very, very genial as you put it. I'm pretty open to talking to people, but I would never like bother somebody. Um, But sometimes you get, just get trapped. I mean, maybe it's some bro business type guys. And I mean, you know, that's tough. And then you're just kind of stuck there. It's actually a total pitfall of communal dining, which Portland used to do a ton of and now barely does any of. Right. And uh, I've had some really good 
experiences like di communal dining because beast is a communal dining spot and i've had some amazing experiences talking with people and they become like uh, social media friends <laughs> but i have walked out once at, uh, beast. at beast yeah yeah and I've wanted to walk out at Beast just because of who, not because of the food, because of who I was yeah. sat next to. And that's, you know, you, they try their best, but what can you do? <laughs> and we'll, we try our best, and sometimes there's nothing you can do but just walk out. And my, I guess have you, you've never walked out. No. No, I don't think so. I just grin and bear it. Oh, God. I guess I'm just, I'm, that's who I am. I'm like... Yeah, um, my friend. Pete, I like that about you that you're just kind of like, nope, this isn't working for me. Bye. Well, Picho, my friend Picho from Hano says I'm Gary David because I have this like Larry David oh. sort of curb your enthusiasm <laughs> thing where it's just crap just happens to me where and I I make things worse sometimes because I sometimes I don't have a filter <laughs> and just things happen to me and Pete just laughs a lot. <laughs> I tell him like X Y and Z happen. And he keeps on saying, Gary David. Gary, Gary David. David. Um, should we talk a little bit about my restaurant guide? So um, you wanted to ask me a question or two, but basically I put out a restaurant guide every year. Uh, the past few years it's been the top 40 restaurants, and I've actually ranked them for Gary mostly um, and for my editors who asked for that. And we had a new number one this year, which was pretty exciting. Um, the past two years it's been Coquine, and this year um, – I put number one, I put Canard, which is a, the sort of sister restaurant to Le Pigeon. It's an all-day restaurant. Nothing's over $20. They don't take reservations. They are family-friendly, but they also serve martinis at 8 a.m. It's kind of like a anything-goes, fun place, very of the moment. The food's really good. Reminds me of, you know, things I ate as a kid. And I think they're doing a great job. Was it a difficult decision for you to move Coquine out of number one and put Canard in into the number one spot. Yeah. I mean, more than any other, because I do feel like maybe I overthink it, but there's kind of like tiers, like top five, top 10, top 25, where moving someone from five to six or from 10 to 11 maybe means more than moving something from 13 to 14 or 27 to 28. And obviously the most the most important one of all is want moving something out of one because, you know, that's frankly a lot of people who read this article and it's my, the newspaper I work for, it's our most read story every year. Um, a lot of people will just scroll down to the number one and you know, <laughs> that that's all they look at, which is fun. I mean, I hope people read it cause I spent a lot of time on it, but um, you know, it also, I, I think that places have their run at the top, at the tippy tippy top. And, you know, it, it would be boring if it was always, always the same. I'm not, right. but you know, if a place keeps blowing me away, I'm going to keep it there. Um, I still love cooking. I have nothing bad to say about them. I think they're incredible. Even their pasta night that they were doing this year was like, while they were doing their pasta night and I wrote this in the review, it was probably the best pasta restaurant in Portland or, you know, definitely top three. And that's ridiculous. Cause it was just a, you know, just a Monday night thing that they were kind of throwing off for a month or two. Um, what I love about what I loved about canard that sort of pushed them into the number one was just that approachability, that accessibility, all these buzzwords that you hear, you hear every restaurant is trying to be approachable and accessible, but how many of them are, you know, changing their menu 
every month like canard is doing and how many of them are keeping every dish under twenty dollars so you can go in there you can go at happy hour everybody says this the steam burger is just a burger but it's a delicious burger it's three dollars so you could go to my number what i consider the best restaurant in portland right now uh, or at happy hour i mean and get a and pay three dollars and have a really fun time you know maybe you'd want two burgers but that's only six or ten which i did at one point What's that? I did 10 burgers, 10 of those. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done um, a lot, too. Uh, but what – do you have, like, a, a, a format or a var- – like, on variable – the variables you would use, obviously, is like, food, atmosphere, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> do you do you, do you rank – weight them and try to figure out, oh, this one – this restaurant is a 9 there and a 10 there? And so, and, like, is that how – or is it more – is it more just kind of, like, feel? Oh, that is number one. That's number two. That's number 18. That's number 25. Like, how – is so, there a set way that you rank I, these restaurants? I actually kind of half adopted a system that you borrowed from a guy who reviews three Michelin star restaurants where you kind of grade every dish out of 20 that you have. And I'm not, I'm not so rigorous about it where you're, I'm, you know, sometimes I forget is what I'm trying to say, but I would say that rating system actually impacted my number two restaurant more than my number one, because the past couple of years that I've gone to Atala, which is a Spanish, it's a tapas place in Northwest Portland. Um, the dishes that I was eating there were all kind of grading out at 15s or 16s or 14s, which is, you know, I think you describe that as one Michelin star level. 15, 16 is around one, 17, 18 is around two. And so obviously yeah. this is like subjective. Yeah. What's a 15, what's a 12, right. whatever. And cooking does a lot of those high level dishes too. But I was, I don't know, I never, had not really thought of this Spanish restaurant, Atala, as a top five Portland restaurant. I thought they were fun. I thought the chef, Jose Chesa, was really talented. But, you know, at the same time, I was kind of like, I don't know if it really fits in in Portland. It feels like a great restaurant for Barcelona. Um, But this year, I was just looking over my notes, and it was like 15, 15, 16. I was like, you know, I can't really ignore how good the food is here and how impressive the technique and creativity is behind it. And so, yeah, I moved them to number two, which is in some ways I think is probably more has been the more controversial move because everybody seems to love canard. You know, I never hear bad things about canard, but you know, Atala people, you know, you hear some things. I think people think it might be too expensive or, you know, I don't know what people say. It's been around for a while. It's been around for a while. So that was, that was a kind of fun, fun thing to do too. Um, who who missed out on the t- who just missed out on the top forty? You know the one that just really was like the glaring thing for me, and I thought about it the whole time I was writing. And is is Hot Yai? I love Hot Yai. It's a casual, you know, um, counter service Thai restaurant from Earl Ninsom, who runs Longban and Padi and a couple of other places, including the, a new restaurant called Im. And Hot Yai, their curries are so mind-blowing. We eat them at home all the time. I feel like it's ruined me for any Thai curry. You can never go to a neighborhood Thai restaurant and order curry again. I kind of justified it by thinking that Longban, which is the restaurant where Hot Yai was sort of born because Hot Yai was there. It started as a Southern Thai menu at Longban that Alan Akwai, the partner in Hot Yai, went to. And... Um, you know, I kind of justified it by saying, well, hey, I've got Longbon on here. I'm mentioning Hot Yai there, which is a very casual spot. And I, 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 I don't know if I would say I regret that, but I really thought, oh, should, I, should I put Hot Yai on the top 42? 
And Hot Yai is a lot of people's favorite restaurant in Portland these days, like yeah, literal yeah. number one. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I hear that and I, I think it's a valid opinion. Any other restaurants that came really close that you just agonized over? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think every year I think about Nong's Kaomangai, like it's such a tourist destination and we highlight them in a lot of different places on our website. It is basically a one dish restaurant, which I, I don't think is a deal breaker in any sense. Um, and, and maybe I'll put them on next year. I'm not sure. Um, you know, Pok Pok is a place where they have the name recognition and it's a national restaurant brand essentially. But, you know, meals there the past four or five years are, it's kind of up and down. It's not what it used to be. Dishes that used to be very spicy are not spicy. And, you know, I, I don't want to just have places on the list because they're famous or have been around a long time. So I don't know. It, these are always tough questions. Um, What's a place that you would have liked to see on the list that wasn't there? Bearing in mind that I didn't include any new restaurants. Right. So my new restaurant guide is going to come out in September. Well, we disagree over uh, Departure. I I, I really like Departure. Okay, that didn't even pop in my head right now. Yeah, I know. And for me, it's easily a top probably 15 restaurant in Portland. Yeah. For me. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. when, When I went to the 40 three years ago, I heard from people about departure, but everybody who asked asked me where's departure was in food PR. I, I don't know what that is. I, I think that they do a great job with, you know, their special events, their Peking Duck Month, you know, everyone raves about these things. My meals there just don't blow me away. Okay. And we've talked about this a lot. Yeah. And I've, since I was no longer anonymous, I've met Greg and Greg Gorday, the chef yeah. there. And he's like just the nicest human being on planet earth. Um, so, you know, it, it feels bad for me that I know I, I don't love his restaurant, but you know, I don't know. I'll keep going. I, I go to a lot of places for this 40. I go to, you know, probably 70 or 80 every year just to, you know, check and see if a place that I didn't like has gotten better or, you know, if a place I'd loved has fallen off. And so I'll keep going to departure. One thing I noticed about this list versus I think there were three, you've done three other, Maybe four other, three or four other top, you ranked your top Portland restaurants. It used to be 100 or 101 or something. Yeah. That was something. the first year. But um, one thing I noticed this year is that three restaurants in between 10 and 20 last year simply fell out, of, like totally fell out. It was Row, Aviary, and Little Bird. Right. That's right. So those were tough decisions too. I mean, Little Bird was our restaurant of the year in 2012. And... I think up until this moment, every place that I've named restaurant of the year has been, um, stayed on the list. Um, so that goes back to about 2010. Um, little bird had a chef change a few months ago. Um, shortly before I visited that chef has since left the restaurant and there's a new chef at little bird. Um, there's a similar situation happening at row where there's been a chef change. Aviary is really tough because that's a restaurant I had in the top 10 just a couple of years ago. And moving them out of the top 10 last year was to me, I think if I had been judging my Aviary experience purely on the meal I had last year, they probably wouldn't have been on the guide last year. But, you know, for me, it's like I've been to all these restaurants between eight and 20 times. So I didn't, I, you know, I didn't want to judge the place just on its worst night, as they say. Um, 
So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to keep them on. I'm going to bump them down 10 spots. And then we went back this year and my meal just wasn't very memorable. I mean, maybe, maybe the momentum from last year's meal was carrying over. I don't know. Um, you know, I once thought of them as one of the most creative, successful restaurants in Portland. So that, that was tough for them to fall off for me. Um, but I just haven't been jiving with my meals there lately. I know they're doing a lot of fun stuff at the bar and, you know, lobster rolls and we both really like the burger. You liked it more than me, but you know, we'll see maybe next year they'll be back. Is there anything you talked about a lot of tough decisions that you've had to make for this year's guide or any guide or any ranking that you've done? Was there, is there another decision that you had to make this year that you really agonized over and that was really a tough decision regarding this specific list? Well, this year? moving coquina out was tough. Um, we, we've already talked about that, but I mean, I kind of live in the Coquine neighborhood. My daughter goes to school about 10 blocks from them. And as I said, everything they do, they do really well. So it's kind of like, you know, I, I, it's not like when I, when I made, and when I made them number one, three years ago that I felt like that was, or two years ago, I should say, uh, three guides ago, I thought that was kind of bold. Like, I don't think people were really talking about Coquine as the best restaurant in Portland at that time. Um, what, I don't know, maybe you disagree, but like, I just thought they were doing everything so well. So, you know, it's, it's hard. I, I don't know how long they were going to keep that run going and maybe they'll be back next year at number one. We'll see. Uh, but I love that place. I go all the time for breakfast because it's kind of on my walks up Mount Tabor. And you know, that was, that was a tough one for me. Um, uh, moving Kachka out of the top 10 was tough, but my meal there was, you know, we really focused on newer dishes and it was about 50, 50 that I liked. Um, so that, that, that to me was, it was tough to justify a top 10 spot for that. Um, ox where we actually went together was, that was probably the least interesting ox meal I've had since they opened. And I moved them from five to 10 and that's still in the top 10. So, you know, I know there's a lot of people who are going to be like, I'm going to visit every restaurant in the top 10. So, you know, people are going to go to Ox. I hope our meal there was kind of a more of a blip, but you know, we'll see next year. Again, that was a place where I took into consideration the entirety of having eaten there, you know, 15, 16 times over the past, uh, however many six years they've been open. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to think what else, uh, how about some good news? Any anything any decision that that you have to make that it's actually because a lot of this is neg unfortunately a lot of it's kind of like negative this moving down that moving down anything like said oh that was that was it's a tough decision but it's, they're doing a really great job I'm gonna move them up yeah 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 um, I've been going to Ned Ludd with a really skeptical eye the past few years um, you know I think you kind of have to take a critical look at the at the guide as a whole I okay the way I approach it is I try to have as much diversity as possible, not just in terms of the cuisines that are represented, but in terms of the price point. I mean, that's what excited me about Canard being at number one as being, you know, a relatively lower cost restaurant. Um, you know, if a place is the best Ethiopian restaurant in the city, I want to give them a spot on the top 40 because, you know, I think that deserves to be recognized. Um, now, I also can, you know, if like we're not, maybe we're not great at West African food, but maybe we have one really good West African restaurant. You know, I'm going to go to that place and consider it strongly for the guide. So then I'm like, okay, how many pizzerias do I really need? Like Portland has developed a justified reputation for its pizza scene. But like out of 40 
top restaurants, how many places do I actually want to be pizzerias? That's where you get some really tough decisions. You've got, you know, place like, uh, uh, so I, on my list are a pizza Shoals, which I think is the best pizzeria in the city. And then I've got Lovely's 5050, which is also makes great pizza. It has a great concept with their sort of farm to table. You know, they put all sorts of stuff, fresh veggies on the, on the pizza. Very, very different places. But that means leaving off Ken's Artisan Pizza and Pizza Jerk and Scotty's and like all the other kind of great, great pizzerias in town. Um, and, you know, that those are tough decisions too. So then I'm kind of looking at like, okay, well, how many wood-fired you know, Portland seasonal restaurants do I need? And then Ned Ludd is kind of a place that kind of sticks out like, yeah, well, maybe I can cut them. But every year I go, and especially this year, we had a great meal this year. Um, we didn't eat a ton. Again, it's a place I've been dozens of times. Right. But like of the four dishes we tried, like three were really, really tasty. And so I kept them on. Jacqueline, which is a seafood restaurant in Southeast Portland, is another place that sort of keeps impressing me every year I go. You know, it's not a top 10 Portland restaurant, but it is a great date night restaurant Hmm. and i you know if you're listening to this and looking for a place to go on a date with dollar oysters at happy hour it's hard to beat what else i think that's that's about it all right man we talked about it um, maybe more than we even expected to yeah (laughs) i thought so yeah yeah great job oh thanks man yeah it's a lot of work and uh i always bug michael when he does a list did you rank it did you rank the list (laughs) no gary you rank this why don't you rank the list everyone wants to see rank lists I love rank lists. Yeah, they love it. They definitely love this list, man. I mean, it's a it's a big deal for the for the newspaper every year, and you know, I, I really enjoy doing it. So in September, we've got my new restaurant guide coming out, and possibly a restaurant of the year if I find one I like. Um, so stay tuned for that. Next time, Gary and I podcast, <laughs> we are going to do a new Portland restaurant draft. So if I remember the rules correctly we're essentially going to do like a round robin style where one of us is going to pick a number one restaurant new restaurant the other guy's going to do their number two and number three and then it's going to go back to me and i'll do four and five up to ten so we'll do a top ten new restaurants uh sort of draft style like like a sporting draft and um that should be a lot of fun too so we'll talk about some of the newer places in portland that are really killing it and whatever other sort of national topics come across our door Anything else, Carrie? Nope. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye bye.